listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Yeah. Hey, this is the fourth and final part of our series called Summer Fruit. Uh, take something to take notes on out of your purse, wallet, something. If you have a crayon, just don't write on the back of the seats anymore. Whoever that is, we still love you. But uh, as, as far as those watching online, make sure that you hit the share feed. The world needs a message of hope in this season, maybe now more than ever. Uh, gang, this a whole series has been less of a series of messages and more of a season in the life of the church where we're really basically saying that God wants us to be fruitful Christians no matter the season that we find ourselves in, whether it be in summer in Michigan when the lake's calling, man, enjoy the lake, but don't give up on the ground that God has taken in your life and that we need to plug into everything that he has and no matter what. And that would be season of life. That'd be season of maybe you're in a high, high. Maybe it's in a season where you're going through a lot. And I got to tell you that God wants us to be people that can follow him and trust him no matter what. Can I hear an amen? And so we as a church, my belief is this. We exist for the world because Jesus exists for the world. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take care of the sheep. Boy, I hope we do a good job with that. But Ultimately, all of us together, Jesus died to build something, and it was his church. And there's people outside of these four walls that need this message of hope and love found in Jesus. And my belief is this also. We have the answers that this world is looking for. We have the answers that they desire so badly. And, and throughout the last six months, I would even argue the last year, I've heard this question more than I have in my entire ministry. And that is this, Pastor Joe are we living in the end times? Are we living in the last days? And if you've heard me preach on it before, my belief is yes. I think that we're there. But at the same time, I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back like this Feast of Trumpets in September. I, I just don't know. I can't tell you the day or the hour. And the, and the Bible doesn't try to do that either. In fact, the Bible says that God the Father is the only one that knows the day or the hour Jesus doesn't even know. In my holy imagination, I picture Jesus on that white horse, maybe like out at y'all's ranch, and he's on that horse, and he's like, just tell me when. I, I'm ready. You just tell me, Father. I got my horse ready, got my bridle. See, read my legs. King of king, Lord, just like Revelation, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But he doesn't even know. But at the same time as we might not know the exact time of Christ's return, the Bible does say that we're going to have some indicators. We'll know what the world is like as we near the second coming of Christ, this amazing rapture of the church. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. I want to read for you a little bit about what Jesus said about all these, these concepts of end of days and the urgency that he, he really put on his church, his followers, to have. This is what it says in Matthew 24. I'm going to start in verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Pause for a second, church. Y'all look at me. Is there any doubt that there's been an increase of wickedness in this world? <laughs> um, is the Pope Catholic? Does a bear poop in the woods? Does a cat have a hind end? Does Howdy Doody have wood legs? Yes, the world's more wicked than ever. And, and at the same time, he says about Christians, that's funny, I don't care who you are. I just proved I didn't come from a Norman Rockwell town. It just wanted to be. <laughs> but listen, you know, it also says the love of many will grow cold. It's talking about Christians. It's, it's saying that there's this incredible opportunity for the end-time harvest, and at the same time as the, the, the best opportunity has been out there, the church is beginning to kind of shrink back a little bit. And I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's understandable. The closer that I've gotten to God, the less I want to do with that old life I had. You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the more quality decisions I make towards Jesus, I don't want to go back to that. And so when somebody comes in with all their drama and they got all their baggage, for some of us in the room, the closer you got to God, you start to sh arm length. Just, And I got to tell you, it's going to be so hard. But you have to both balance getting close to God and not shooing away people that look just like you before Jesus. And they might have looked worse than you before Jesus, but 
they deserve the love of God just as much as any. So let's not be people that are marked for cold love. Let's be the church in Grand Rapids that while the whole world's going cold and shrewd and, and getting to us for no more, man, we still are outreach focused. We still love people no matter what they did, no matter where they come from. I'm, I'm preaching, but y'all let not. Can I hear an amen? And so, so the Bible says that there's an increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. And it continues on to say that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The world, uh, words there, when it says whole world, it's the Greek word ethnos, and it's talking about people group. It's not just saying, talking about a country. It's not just talking about this nation. It's saying that within the nation, we're going to hit the country music crowd. We're going to hit people that are in the inner city. We're going to hit people that are out there, you know, rednecks. In fact, we don't really have rednecks in Michigan. We have hillbillies. There's a big difference. It's mainly in teeth. But beyond that, beyond that, the South, they got rednecks. They ain't got no teeth. That's bad English, but it's true. They're not all winners. Okay. So we read here that there's a danger of Christians going cold, but an opportunity of more people to be reached than ever. And here's what I hear. It's not a time for us to be unprepared. It's not a time for us to just blow everything off and think that things are going to continue like they always have continued before. That, that we just blow it all off. You know, Man, Jesus coming back, that could be so long. We just live loose in this world. We need to figure out what our role is in these last days. Well, later in that chapter, Jesus gives this example, and it's very profound. Matthew 24, verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, begs the question, what was it like then? If it's going to be like the days of Noah, right around the time when Jesus comes back for the rapture of the church, then, then we should know what it was looking like in the world at the time of Noah. And, and we've heard the story, maybe even before you found God, you had a Noah's Ark nursery or something like that, you know, and and it's a story that we all get, but some people, they, they think that oh, that's, that's allegorical or that it's just uh, maybe it's something like what Jesus did. Maybe it's a parable or something like that. I got to tell you, the way Jesus treated it was that it was a historical event. He talked about it that way. And, and there is so much scientific evidence for a worldwide flood. It's so clear. In fact, the world will, will, will just fight you tooth and nail and say that there was an ice age. Quick question. I'm a simple person. How do you get ice without water? And so, so I just, I think that there's so much evidence, but even if you couldn't like reason it together, if you're still struggling, choking on that one, how about this one? God won't be reduced to what you see as logical. Sometimes he stands out from what we would think about things. And so I believe in a young earth. I believe that we had a worldwide flood. I don't think that it was covering the mountains that exist right now. I don't think those mountains existed at the time of the flood, but that's another message altogether. And there's going to be things about your faith that you're going to have to say, God, I don't get it, but you haven't asked me to understand everything. You've just asked me to be like, all right, obey. I'm, I'm in. I believe you no matter what you say. In fact, there was a little girl that was taught that, and uh, she, she went to a church, and she was pumped up full of the Word of God, and just like we do back in New Kids. She was excited. So she went into school, and she said, teacher, have you ever heard the story of Jonah and the whale? I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. And the teacher said, there's no way that that happened. That's, that's a cute story. That's a wonderful thing. And, you know, maybe, maybe your religion has uh, ascribed a lot of meaning to that, but it just didn't happen. The little girl said, no, 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 no. Jonah got swallowed by a big fish. He was in that big fish for three days. The teacher said, there's no way that, 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 that Jonah could survive inside a fish. You know, please don't do any of that. It got heated. They're going back and forth. And finally, the little girl, after giving all the proof that she had learned back in Sunday school, she says, all right, look. When I go to heaven, I'm going to find Jonah, and I'm going to ask him whether or not he was in a fish for three days. And, and, and the teacher was furious, and she said, how do you know that Jonah even went to heaven and that you could ask him? And the little girl says, well, if he went to hell, that's your job, teach. And so <laughs> the moral of the story is to not fight with a five-year-old, a lesson I am learning in my life, but... Genesis, if you would, I want to read Genesis chapter 6. The Bible says this. This is that account in the Bible of Noah. The Lord saw 
how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved. So, so let me just pause for a second. Y'all look at me. God sees it. He sees the wickedness. And God is grieved by it. If this is the times of Noah, like what we believe are, are, are playing out before us, God is, he's not nervous. He's not nervous about it, but he's grieved. It grieves the heart of God. It's like when you see somebody that has so much potential, could do wonderful things, and they're throwing their life away, and you're just like, no, don't do that. If you only had somebody to affirm you and put their hand on your shoulder, you could have been so much more. That's how God looks at this generation. He's not condemning them to hell. The provision is there. He's not willing that any should perish. So he's looking at his kids make awful decisions. How many of you adult parents, when you have Thanksgiving and all the kids are at your house, it just makes you feel settled. Everybody's home. Everybody's where I can see. In that one year where the one son or daughter's off, it just it isn't the same. And God is the same way where he's like, I want my family all together. And he sees the wickedness. It's going through the roof. That passage goes on to say, for I am grieved that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God sees the wickedness. He's grieved in it. But what is he looking for? He's looking for somebody to stand up. And, and he's not just ending it all. He's not just flooding the earth and destroying mankind. In fact, it was actually a preservation of mankind. He's saying, i got to save these people from themselves. He's looking for somebody to do it with. He's looking for Noah in this case. But in every great story in the Bible, God is looking for a person to rise up and say, look, i got this with you. I, I, I'm going to partner with you. God, you say it, and it's done. He's looking for someone who wants to make a difference. And if you've been around New Chapel for a while, you know we're all about it. And if you're new here, or maybe have never been to New Chapel Connect, I just want to explain for a second what we're all about. Number one, we want you to know God. Only way to know God is by making peace with Jesus, meaning you're not such a good God over your own life. If you haven't realized that, many people around you have, and they know God because they made the decision to give it all up. And so know God is number one. Number two, I want you to find freedom. That the church I grew up in, man, they, they believed in an eternal salvation, but I got to tell you, they didn't leave us a lot on the here and now. It was kind of just like, you got saved, you know God, awesome. Act right before you die, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, okay, and, and that was our great vision. I don't know how you'd put that on the wall, but that was our vision. God has more for you than that. God wants to bring freedom into your life, freedom from your past, freedom from your past hurts. He wants to take the deepest part of you and yes, you're born again, but he wants to take that and make that shine through all of your life. The Bible says that you can renew your mind and ultimately be transformed. And so then, so beyond freedom, God wants you to discover purpose, not manufacture purpose. He wants you to discover what you were made to do. There's something that only you can do in this world. You're uniquely gifted to do it. And God put that thing in you. And what we want to do as a church is help you mine out that purpose so you know that God made you for more. And that ultimately leads to number four, which is this. He wants you to make a difference. That the purpose that he put in you is going to be so great, that purpose is going to be so, so powerful that you can't do it on your own. You're going to need other people. And that purpose is going to be so strong, it can't just be all about you. It's going to be about people that are far from God. So, so that's God's goal. That's the spiritual journey that here at New Chapel we want to take you on. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in this world. That's God's plan. Like, let me put it this way. God has a hope for you. He invested his best for you. And he's looking for an incredible return on investment. You can do it in this world. There's purpose. I hear people say, Pastor Joe, why? Why? I don't understand the meaning of life. There it was. It's for you to know God and find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Your why in this world is so much bigger than this world in and of itself. I want to read for you a passage uh, out of Acts chapter 13. The Bible says this, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation... He fell asleep. It's very profound. It's talking about King David. You know, what I want you to become aware of is this, is that you are not here on earth just to pay bills and take a vacation 
and get a random promotion now and again and retire at 65 as soon as you possibly can. God has called you to make a difference in this world and to fulfill his purpose in your generation. You know, if the Lord doesn't come back in my lifetime, A, I'd be very surprised, but B, if he doesn't, I want people at my funeral to say, you know what, Joe did his best, his darndest, to fulfill God's purpose in his generation. He loved God. And that's what I want for you so badly, is that in western Michigan, we wouldn't just come in and sit down and give the preacher a good hearing and say amen a couple times and clap a few times, that you would get up and get out of this place and make a difference, that we wouldn't just do church, we'd go be the church. Eddie's shaking his head so hard, he's about ready to fall off. Can I get an amen, Eddie? That's good preaching, isn't it? And so we are called to make a difference in this world. And so in a couple different areas, I want to show you that. The first one is this. You can make a difference for those closest to you. When we hear about making a difference in the world, some of that could be so intimidating. We're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to, I mean, I don't speak Zimbabwean. I don't plan on going there. I, how, how do I do this, Pastor Joe? The world. God's not asking you to reach everyone in the world by yourself. God wants you to reach your world, those around you, those in your life already in some way. Let me read it for you out of Genesis chapter 7. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because you've been found righteous in this generation. So God wants to save you and your family, not, not just you. Now, there's been some theological debate about this next passage. Let me tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying that if you get saved, that automatically the people that you live with become saved as well. That's not what it's saying. It's saying something deeper than that. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I love King James Version very much. I think it's very poetic in many ways. But because English is so fluid and it changes, it becomes limited. And at the time that they translated that, I even think that, that it could have been a stronger translation there. The Greek word for household in this passage is the Greek word oikos. Uh, anybody else seen that Greek yogurt that's really gross that Kaya buys all the time? So she's trying to get us all healthy. Oikos, okay? <laughs> it's disgusting. Okay, here's what it means. I want the cheap stuff that has fruit at the bottom. And I want to get the white stuff out of the way and eat the fruit. Okay, praise God. Here's, here's what oikos means. Oikos doesn't just mean your household. It means your sphere of influence, your people. Who, who's your people? So the salvation is going to happen in your life, but the salvation is going to be so strong, it's going to affect people that are in your sphere. That's why we try to lock up people that are on fire for God. They get born again for just three months because otherwise they try to run for president. You know what I'm saying? I like that album, though, you know? And so Jesus walks. And so praise God. Anyway, but what I'm trying to say is that like sometimes you could be so nuts the hour that you first believed, as the old hymn said, that, that we try to be like, okay, okay, you're trying to reach not just your oikos, but everybody else's oikos. We need to keep your hands to yourself. Just praise God. Just to, we need you to get a little bit of Jesus in you before you start reaching everybody. But remember that. That happened to you. When you accepted God, you were on fire. What we want to do is take all that broad light and put it into a laser and say, who in your life can we actually have a conversation with? Instead of feeling the weight of everybody that you need to reach, why don't you start thinking about certain people? For me at my high school, I thought about certain people that I was in band with or that was in uh, one of my classes or another. And I just, I, I went after them as a prayer target. And I invited them in. It was amazing the amount of people that were willing to do it when it wasn't just shotgun, throw mud against the wall, see if it sticks, when it was more like, okay, I'm believing God for this person. And I saw results happen. It was my oikos. It was my sphere of influence. And if you're a Christian, listen to me. You're called to make a difference. You're called to affect those people in your life. If you're part of New Chapel, there's moments where we say all hands on deck. There's moments where people are apt to come into church and, and, and experience what we have for them. Christmas is obviously one, Easter maybe even more. This is one of those moments here at the church where I'm saying all hands on deck. If you call New Chapel home, I need your help to make next week phenomenal. What's happening next week? So glad you asked. Drive into freedom. Anybody excited about that? That's going to be pretty cool. So this event is not because your church is an events venue. 
It's not because I get a kick out of doing just something excellent. It's because we're trying to do this as an outreach event to our community. We want to be people that in the midst of all of these wild shutdowns and so-called permissions to open or close, that we stand and say, hey, we're for the community. We love you and our doors are open. We've shown that in a very substantial way for the past year. But I don't want this church just to know that we're right or that we're shrewd. I want them to know that we love them and their families and want to show them Jesus. So we're using this event to, to welcome them onto this campus for a drive-in church service. That's going to be pretty fun. I loved that season. Even though so many wild things were going on in culture, it was kind of a riot to get up on top of this building and be preaching to cars. And man, I can't tell you, we really upset somebody over at those apartments because when people go amen, they go, bah, 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 you know, on their horns. And he worked third shift, praise God. But I invited him, he didn't come. I don't know why, but praise God. Anyway, this drive into freedom event is going to be amazing. So we're going to have worship that's going to be happening. And then my friend Justin Barclay is going to be here preaching the message. And I'm excited about that. Let me tell you about Justin. He's a man of God. He is, is he on the radio? Yes. The day after he's with us, he's going to be hosting Glenn Beck's program. I mean, he's, God's doing something in his life with promotion. But let me tell you, he's going to be preaching about Jesus. And that freedom comes from God. And I'm excited about that. It's not going to step on your toes unless the gospel does, in which case... Yikes. But, uh, but he's going to be given the message. I'm excited about that. We're going to have patriotic elements to the service. It's going to be amazing time. And then afterwards, we're going to have a tailgate carnival. We're going to have inflatables, not just inflatables for kids, but also inflatable for uh, preschool age kids. So, you know, when they get in that bounce house, they don't get bounced up and, you know, <laughs> hit a cloud or something. And, and so we're going to have that. <laughs> You're going to be in it, Leonard. We're going to make you man it. And so, uh, we're going to have that, and we're going to have food trucks. Oh, my gosh, we got Prano Pups. That's that place with the corn dogs from Grand Haven. We done stole their little booth. Prano Pumps is going to be here at New Chapel. Jesus, man. <laughs> and other food trucks and uh, other dessert trucks. It's going to be all health food, and I prayed for it to be calorie-free, so you just help yourself, everybody. And we're going to have a car show. We're going to have classic cars, and we're going to have show cars and hot rods. And if you have one, we need it. But listen, it's going to be an incredible, incredible weekend. Bring everybody you know. Listen to me, church. Hear me. All hands on deck. I need you to serve. I need you to bring somebody. We need to make a difference throughout all of this. Now, when you do that, your friend comes to the drive-in. Maybe, maybe they accept Christ that day. Maybe they don't. Maybe they come the next week. But I'm telling you, whenever it is that you bring somebody into the house, and when I say every head bowed, every eye closed, you peek in a little bit, and... They raise their hand. They accept Christ. Tear goes down their cheek. Let me just tell you, that's your favorite day at church. Because that's what it's all about, everybody. All of the other stuff, phenomenal. We want them to have freedom, purpose, make a difference. But we got to get that first one down, don't we? And so, so listen, it's all about that. Write this down. What God is doing in you, it wasn't designed to stop with you. Like the thing that he's doing in your life, the salvation thing, well, I just, I have a private faith. Well, that's an oxymoron if you're talking about Christianity. There's no such thing as a private and personal faith that, that's not meant to be shared. Your faith is not just for you. He would have died just for you, but it's meant to be shared. Second idea, you can make a difference for your generation. You can make a difference for your generation. What does that even mean, Pastor Joe? Here's what I would say. Your generation is the time you live in and the place you live in. That's, that's your generation. And I'll tell you, this generation of the world will leave you left wanting. It is so frustrating to see some of the things that are happening in our, our world. And, and some of you are upset about it. You're upset that the world is changing at this rapid pace. You're upset that schools are teaching sexually deviant behavior. Every June, we're going to talk about it. You're upset that schools are beginning to teach something called critical race theory. Let me tell you something about that. It's wrong. It's demonic. It's evil thing. It is reverse racism. So wherein one was a victim and one was seen as the oppressor, you flip the script and now you look at everybody of a different race as somebody who is subservient based on how they were born. Guys, listen to me. I'm not a racist because of how I was born. You are not racist because of how you were born. My belief is y'all were taught that junk if you have it. You need to deal with it. 
But listen to me. You're upset about those things? You're upset about the way that the world is going? You're, you're upset about the government trying to play God? Great. Do something about it. Run for office. You're laughing, and I'm serious. Run for school board. I want to do a whole message soon before they go back to school about Kennewick Hills High School, about Comstock Park, some of these others that are in our immediate vicinity. You would not believe the inner office mes- uh, memos that I have, uh, have possession of. I'm going to tell you how I got them either, but praise God. <laughs> in the things that they're trying to teach your elementary school kids, they're already doing it. Your kids don't even know how to verbalize it back to you. It's already happening. It's already at play. And I say you run for school board. I say one of you is the next mayor. I, I think that we need to start, st- stop just talking about it and start doing something about it. Like run for the office, get behind a campaign. Come on, somebody. You don't need to sit back and let this world influence you. The Bible says so much. You need to influence it. That's what it says in Jeremiah 15. You are to influence them. Don't let them influence you. Don't don't let them get in your head. Don't, Don't let them make you think that you expressing a godly worldview is you being a bigot. You're no bigot expressing God's view on it. I can prove that you didn't write it. Right? You're standing behind your faith in God. And yet a small, loud minority is allowed to yell in our face. And anybody that says, I don't want any of the junk. How about this one? I don't want to just talk about, okay, this sexually deviant behavior. Or talk about the other sexually deviant behavior. How about we stop talking about it to elementary kids altogether? There's a wild thought. we got to do something about it. Otherwise, we're just going to clap at a talking head in the front of a room, and 10 years from now, you're going to be like, how would that even happen? Don't, 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 don't discount your role. You can do something in this community. People will look to you for answers. You stand up. I'm telling you, if they go after me, it's going to look like drowning a Boy Scout. Go ahead. Come at me, brah. Okay. Not in my message. <laughs> Third thought. <laughs> Third thought, you can make a difference for God. You can make a difference for God is looking for people. God's looking for you. He wants you. He's counting on you. Second Chronicles chapter 16, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the holder show, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He's looking for somebody that says, I'll make a difference. I'm in. I'll be loyal to your cause. I'm not, I'm not going to turn my back on these timeless teachings of Jesus. I'm in. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's why I just want to take a break for a second and thank the GO team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We couldn't do it without you. Man, there's some churches that would say, oh, you put your finger in a glass of water and you pull it out. That's the impact that you would have if you ever left. Not me. I can't do it without you. We all need you. We all need each other. This church isn't going to work with just my hands. We need all of our hands. Thank you. To those watching kids pouring coffee, greeting the doors, ushering, uh, uh, leading worship, thank you, thank you, thank you. In fact, church, can we just give them that honor? Thank you so much. Now, I want to say, for those of you that are not part of the team, I'm not, I'm not ragging on you. In fact, some of you need to sit under the word and just listen for a little bit. Let your heart recover. I get it. Like, I get it. My belief is this, is that God will take you on that journey. And, and we're getting by without you. It'd be so much easier with you, though. And so for some of us, I would encourage you, if you never have, to go to New Chapel Connect after service today. It's the second part called engagement. We're going to be talking about how you can engage with the vision here, how you can do your part to make a difference here. But, but listen to me. Thank you, Go Team. It's, it's your model of, of, of a godly lifestyle. Some of you think I could never serve on a team like that. You, you know, I'm kind of tore back or whatever. Share the freedom that you have. Share what God has done. We are not asking you to put on airs and act like you're somebody who you're not. In fact, don't do that. That really doesn't fly very well here at the New Chapel. But if you just say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. I'm going to share the freedom I have. If that's what you want, I'm telling you, you will find a church behind you, supporting you every step of the way. Hallelujah. God is looking for difference makers, and the truth is this, is that there's only one place in the Bible where Jesus ever commented on the solution to a hurting earth. Do you want to hear it? 
This is what he said in Matthew 9, verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Oh, unlimited potential. We could do so many things, but we have a labor shortage. The potential is so great of what we could do. There's a labor shortage. I can't tell you how many people have come into New Chapel in the past several weeks knocking on our doors, handing out flyers. If you have anybody we can hire, if you have anybody that we can hire, we'll hire anybody. Please, 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 we need the work. We could open, we could have commerce. So many people have a deficit of workers right now. And that cultural deficit, everybody thinks that it's without any consequence. It's putting the brakes on everybody's life. We just can't sense it yet. In the same way, spiritually, the potential is unlimited for what God could do. The harvest is ready. Some of the people that that you never would have expected that would ever darken the door of a church, they would listen to you. They would come along. They'd come to an event. They'd come if you invited them. It'd blow your mind, but they'd come. And, And I believe this, that when you get to heaven, you're going to be surprised with some of the people that made it in. You're going to get there and be like, him? That guy was crazy. He's so angry. How in the world he born again, you know? But see, we look at the outward appearance and God weighs the hearts. So what does Jesus say? He says, the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. I can't do it without you guys. We need your help. We, We need you to be invested in all of this, this labor shortage. We've got to overcome it all. Wow. It's him saying, if I could figure out how to get more people on the team, if I could figure out how to get more people to have this heart to make a difference, it would make all the difference in the world. I like how Ezekiel says this, the prophet in the Old Testament. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Later on, that That call is answered to fill in the gap. And here's what it means, is that in Bible times, you'd have city-states that would be exposed to damage if there was a gap in the wall. Anytime there's a gap in the wall, it's exploited by the enemy. So what would happen is there was this prayer from Ezekiel, the words of God saying, we need to do something about this. And he says it this way. It's not even just so much that we need to do more doing to build up the wall. We need a person to stand in the gap. And that's who God is looking for today. It was the same in Noah's time. It's the same in Moses' generation. And it's the same for you today. God's looking for somebody that says, look, there's a gap here in culture where kids aren't getting taken care of, where, 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 where there's marginalized people. They're getting left behind, where there's people living in apartments or suburbs or houses or mansions or trailer parks around me that are far from God and they need this message. And God, I'll stand in the gap. It's not comfortable, but I'll do it. It's the least I could do. That's the heart of God is that he would have a people that would say, I'll do it. I'm in. And so I was praying about this this week because it kind of blows my mind that people say no to this and that people don't get engaged and get involved and make their life kind of pointed towards making a difference. It blows my mind. When I was 17 and rededicated, I started tithing right away. I mean, right away. didn't even wait. I started to jump in and serve every service. So they had three on, on Saturday night and two on Sunday morning at the church that I was at. Guess what? It wasn't sit one, serve one. It was serve one, serve one, serve one. And then the next day, serve one, serve one. Like I was in. I had no problem with doing it. I was so energized by doing it. And, and so I'm praying. I was like, God, I don't even understand. I know that there was a time in my life where I didn't want to do this, but I can't even remember. And I was praying. I felt like God showed me this. People don't do it because they're afraid. That there's a fear somewhere in there, this latent fear that it's not going to pan out the way they thought. A couple thoughts about this, and I phrased these in the form of a question to kind of help us through all of this. The first one is this. What's holding us back from making a difference? Are you afraid of the past? Oh, Pastor Joe, listen, you don't know my resume. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times... I've been married. You, you don't know the thing I did last night, Pastor Joe. Listen, you, you don't want any business with any of that. The amazing thing about Jesus is he really didn't care about that. He didn't go after the qualified. There were people that would have been the ideal rabbinical students for him to go after. Yet he goes after Peter, who was a reject of the rabbinical order. He's a fisherman. 
Jesus was a rabbi. He was in an area on the beach covered with dead fishes. This would have made him ritualistically unclean, but Jesus is not intimidated by our filth, is he? And he goes down and he calls somebody who was a reject of those old honorable orders and calls them into his ranks. Wow. And so it doesn't matter really what you've done in the past. You've given your life to God and you've received his forgiveness. Honestly, some of the things that you did in the past might make you uniquely qualified to speak into people's lives in a way I never could. We need to be that church. Don't be so focused on the thing that you did in the past. Your past doesn't disqualify you. God is not looking for the qualified. He qualifies the called. And as a born-again believer, you are called of God. I like how it says it in Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read this in the message version. God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled, never rescinded. Our world is savage today. If you mess up, whether it's a real mess up or whether it's in their goofy line of morals mess up, you know, I don't know, hopscotch morality that they have, if you mess up, you're dead to them. They'll cancel you so quick, make your head spin. And you're irredeemable to boot. God's not like that. He knows the worst thing you've ever done. Check this. He knows the worst thing you'll ever do. And he still accepted you as a son or daughter of the Most High. He still put that call on you. Another translation would say that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He's not sorry for putting that call on you. I'm disqualified. Uh, 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 uh. You don't get to make that decision. That's higher than your pay grade. You need to trust the God in heaven that when he calls you to do something, you are qualified enough to take the first step. Somebody say amen. Wow. Write this down. You have to let go of the past so we can let go of you. You have to let go of it. The Bible says in Isaiah 54 that you'll forget the shame of your youth. Believe that there's people that have messed up when you were younger and you allow that mess up to haunt you decades after it happened. Be free today in Jesus' name. God Almighty sent his son to take your shame. That's what the Bible says. Jesus took your shame on Calvary's cross. You have no right to it. I'm ashamed of what I did. Well, that should be an unfamiliar emotion to the Christian doesn't mean that you're proud of it, but it means that just like Paul said, I bear the marks in my body, right? You say, this did happen, but I'm going to leverage it for God's goodness in my life and in the life of others. That's the whole idea. Number two, what's holding us back from making a difference in this world? Are we afraid of the crowd? I think a lot of people are afraid of the crowd. We're afraid of the group think and what the group is going to think about us. Oh, what will the church people think? Oh, what will the church people think? You know what? Who cares what the church people think? You obey God. Well, they know what I did, and I'm coming all up here. Listen, you have no idea. The people that have come in here with skirts a little too short, a little bit high, a little drunk coming into the house of God, thank God we're the old Rite Aid. You know what I mean? Like, there's no statues or woodworking to intimidate you, you know. They come in here messed up past. I've had people that have been high that God completely wiped away their high to hear my message. That's funny. Got saved that day. Hear me, guys. God, God is big, but what happens is we're afraid of the crowd and what people think, and so it holds people outside of these doors. Neither do they know that you're normal people just like them, but, but, but they're afraid of the crowd. We're afraid to talk to them because of the crowd. I think God Noah wasn't like that. <laughs> the Bible says it had never rained before that worldwide flood. That there was this like, think of it like an embryonic cell around the earth of, of water and ice and that the world was like a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. The Bible says that every day and a new day that there were waters from the deep that would water all the plants and vegetation. And think of it, they're getting oxygen like never before. It's like one of those chambers, right? And, and, and think of the foggiest day that we had on this rainy week where there's fog all over the place. In the mornings, it'd be so much more like that and it would feed everything. So now you have Noah. He hears from God. God's going to flood the earth. God says, I'll save you. Build an ark. Noah's building a massive boat. Massive ark. His buddy comes up and says, what you doing, Noah? Building a boat. What's a boat? <laughs> it's to go in the water. What's water? 
world looked a lot different in those days. Well, it's going to be rain, and it's going to flood the whole world. What's rain? Like, completely foreign, and Noah doesn't care. Just keeps on building that ark. Reminds me of those preachers that have been faithful during all of these shutdowns, and you never bowed to Nebuchadnezzar, and you kept preaching that gospel, and you kept the doors open, and you said, whoever will, come as you are. You've been faithful, pastor, and because you've been faithful, God saw it. And just everybody's saying, oh, it's going to go on like this forever. But you've been sowing and building and building. And the whole roof's going to come off this thing. When the rapture happens, people are going to say, I didn't know that was going to happen. God knew it was going to happen. And there have been faithful men and women of God. There have been faithful pastors, faithful people that said, I'm building this ark, and we're going to fill this thing up. So hear me now, guys. As he's doing all of those things, he wasn't moved by groupthink. The world is louder now than they've ever been. It's so annoying sometimes. The people that can get on TV. I mean, anybody at New Chapel, anybody would make a more interesting show than some of these people. Anybody. And, and, and some of the things that they say, it's so goofy, and they're so loud about it. And, and, and while that's happening, are we going to be afraid of what they're saying? Or are we going to be the people that stand up and say, we have something to say as well? Don't you dare bully anybody. Don't you beat them with the truth. You show them the love of God. The truth is so evident. In fact, I would venture to guess they know the truth in many instances. Wow. Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare. Trip you up, mess you up, hold you back. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Don't be ashamed of God. God asks you to do something, take a stand, you do it. You trust God no matter what, gang. Now, don't be goofy. Don't be a granola Christian. That's a fruit flake or a nut, you know? I mean, don't be a granola Christian. Don't be that guy that goes downtown Grand Rapids, gets you a soapbox and a megaphone, just yells at everybody that they're going to, hey, yo. That guy makes my job harder. In the context of your personality and your calling and who God has called you to be, you reach the world that way. You talk in that way. I see men come into the church, and you're a little bit nervous about worshiping God. I, I saw one guy not too long ago, and the lights were dim, and the song was going, and, and I could just see him. He's like, you know, just, just right around there like that, you know. Or he, okay, I'm going to just, just get my nose. But in everything in him, wanted to worship God. Don't you dare be worried about what other people think of you. We ain't looking at you. We're looking at God. And, and if God is calling you higher to greater steps, you take those steps of faith. Help yourself. We ain't your mama. I'm going to go tell on you. You go tell everybody that you're still part of that denominational church, but you come here and praise God, okay? And here's why I say that. The church in Europe, they were afraid to look foolish during the Holocaust. And while trains filled with Jewish people would pass by their churches, they would just sing louder, they would hit the piano a little louder, because they didn't want to be confronted with what was happening. My opinion is, who cares what the crowd thinks? I'm going to stand up for Jesus. If I don't bow, I won't burn. My trust is in the everlasting God. He will see me through. Write it down, gang, to be a difference maker. We have to be more concerned about obeying God than looking foolish. Y'all look foolish anyway. You look crazy. Just accept that and not be foolish for Jesus. How does that sound? Fair enough? Number three, what's holding us back from making a difference? I feel like a lot of us are afraid of taking the first step. So many things are easier once you've already taken the first step. Man, I'm, I'm going to be leading a small group. I'm going to be leading a small group. And you talked about it, you hyped yourself up, and then you never did it. And so then you shame yourself, and then you end up not even going to groups where and you were going to them before. I just wonder, guys, if, if you just took that first step. My sister would laugh at me when I was a kid because we'd be going swimming, and Jamie would jump right in, having a great time. Anybody else in the room takes you half an hour to get wet? Like I've got my foot in, you're like, it's cold, you know? And I'm just... Ugh, you know, like, I don't know if I want to do that. And, and Kai will tell you, I'm type A, let's go get him, take the hill. Except for that one thing. I'm a real wimp when it comes to getting cold water. I've been pushed in before. When I get pushed in, you all, oh, oh, it's all right. And you're having fun immediately. I know that, and I still don't want to do it. And it's like that with so many of us. God's called you to take that step. Just take the step. 
trust him in the step. God will see you through. But, but what happens is this. We think it's going to be easier to not do it, but, but the truth is that that deficit is only going to be solved when you're found in the will of God. It's not questioning everything. Be willing to take that step. Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, says this about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in a holy fear. Uh, fear, uh, this isn't talking about being afraid. It's talking about a, a severe and awesome respect and honor for God. In a holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Here's what I want you to see in that passage. He's confronted with difficulties, confronted with unknowns, and he just gets a hammer and some wood and starts going to work. Doesn't even have the full plan. I mean, he's just like, okay, God, you called for it. I'm in. I'll build you an ark. How would our lives be if we lived that way? Here's what I know. Some of us in the room have been stirred to make a difference for years. And my prayer is this, is that today is that final little nudge where you're like, all right, I'm going to do it. This passage wasn't really part of the notes. I included it in. I think that it's apropos for where we're at. I'm going to read this scripture passage and then give you what I, I believe is a word for many of us in the room. 1 Kings 19. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not on the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not on the earthquake. Verse 12. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. King James would say, a still, small voice. And as this message was coming together this week, I feel like I've got some words for people in the room. And the first one I want to tell you is this. For some of you, you're hearing this word today as I'm preaching. Don't do it. You're hearing... You're about to cross a boundary. You're about to go too far. You're about to violate your conscience. Don't go so far. Today, God is trying to apprehend you. For other people in the room, you're hearing the opposite. You're hearing, do it. <laughs> Take the step of faith. God's called you to be engaged and to be involved. And, and, and aren't you tired of hearing messages about making a difference? Let's go make a difference. Some of you are hearing the word, hang in there that you're about to quit, it's so heavy, it's so frustrating. You're trying to take ground, but you've got kids around you, you've got pressures, you've got bills, and it's just like, I don't know if I can do it. God is speaking to your heart right now and saying, hang in there, trust me. For other people, God is saying, take the risk. It feels risky. The truth is this with God, it's not a risk. It just feels that way. It's outside of what you could imagine, but it's not as bad as you would ever think. How about this one? Apologize now. A couple weeks ago, I preached a little bit about forgiveness in the context of a message. And that week had the opportunity to talk to a person that had done me wrong many times. On the phone with this person, I had the opportunity to call out everything that they did or take responsibility for the things that were my fault. The Bible says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So I just, I made it right. And when I, I tried to say, well, what about this? It just was not received. I was shut down. And for some of you in the room, you're like, I, I, I can't apologize. They did everything wrong. It's not my fault. Listen, it doesn't matter. You live, live it, 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 you need peace in your life. Live peaceably with all men. You get clear in your heart. You let God deal with them. They may never apologize to you, and that might be truth. But you can apologize for whatever you did and walk clear with them. How about this one? It's time to get help. It's gone from recreation to control. It controls you. And you have to become aware that you can't deal with it on your own anymore. You need help. You need to reach out for help. Some of us in the room need to slow down. You're reading about these last days, but buddy, you ain't going to be there if you don't learn to relax. Take a Sabbath. Some people are hearing that there's more. 
God has that other step, that next step for you. You thought you were retired. You thought that you were going to be able to take it easy. And all of a sudden, purpose is rushing in again. See, you can retire from a job. You never retire from purpose. There's something pulling you towards greater things. For some of you, you're hearing, it's time. It's time. Stop waiting. Stop resting on your laurels. Take the step today. You know it is beyond a shadow of a doubt. You, you even pray at times, God, just, you just tell me, just tell me, God, if it's time, here I am speaking to you from God Almighty. It's time. It's time. The people who need that word, you know it. And how about this one? You can do it. Whatever God calls for, he provides for. He will grace you to do things outside of yourself. Every Christian granny, including mine, had on her fridge, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Hallelujah. Too many are in a safe Christianity, and God never called you to a safe Christianity. He called you to a wild ride, an adventure, a life outside of what you could imagine. He has more. Genesis 9, I want to wrap this up. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds as a sign of my promise until the end of time to you and to all the earth. So the flood recedes. God speaks to Noah and says, this is what the rainbow is all about. It's my promise. I'm not going to flood the earth. I'm with you. And that promise that God gives is the same back then as the promise Jesus gave in Matthew 28. He said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the promise. So God is for you. He's not going to put you on the back burner. He's not forgotten you. He's not put you out to pasture. He is for you in your life, and that promise is active. He hasn't forgotten you. So the fourth thing I think holds people back is this. I think that we're afraid of failure. Are we afraid of failure? Are we afraid of messing it up? Are we afraid of going too far? Are we afraid of not doing enough or we won't have the resource or we won't have the time? What is holding us back? It's this ultimate belief that it's not going to pan out the way God said. That's our original problem, everybody. What's the solution? We trust God with the life that we have. When you walked in today, there's a little paper ruler on your seat. If you could pull that out, that would be wonderful. Brenda, could you grab me one of those real quick? Thank you so much. Thanks, Brando. So uh, don't try to measure anything with this because you, you're going to build something funky if you do because this has nothing to do with, with inches or, or centimeters. But this, is, this represents your life. This is your life. And, and, and we all want to live to 120. I believe that for you, but I want you to do this right with me. Would you just, when, whenever you think you're going to die, my wife's looking at me like, baby, we're going to die. Notebook stop. I don't know. Praise God. I'm just going to put down 94. Go ahead and fold it at 94 if you could. Just fold it. Fold it once. Now turn it the other way. Fold it again if you could. Just right at that same time. Right? Same time. And then just rip it. Rip it right there. Who knows, right? Tomorrow's promise to no man. You might die at 94. You might die at 120. When, whenever you think you're going to die, rip it off. What is this? This is eternity. Just becomes incorporated into heaven. Your life started here, but it, for the believer, it's not going to end with the rest of this. If you could fold it at your current age. I'm 35 going on 65. I'll fold right at 34. Fold it twice. Go ahead. Let's all rip it off together. One, two, three. Okay. This is your past. You can do nothing about this. Whatever wins or losses you've ever had, it's in the books. But if you would, put that down and only hold the time you have. I see some people looking at other people's cards and like, ooh, there's a short, you know? <laughs> yeah. How about this? They're all kind of short, aren't they? With the life that you have left, what are you going to do with it? How quick did that period of time go? My encouragement would be to look at the time that you have left and pray to God that you live for 120, but ultimately look at it critically and say, God, with this time I have, I want to make a difference 
for you. I want to live this thing all in for you because church, time is short. Are we living in the last days? I don't know if it's the last, last days. It's your last days. No matter how long you think your life is going to be, whether Jesus comes back in this time frame or not, listen to me, Christian, it's your last days. And so we need to be the people that look at the great need, the great harvest that God has, and we need to say, God, I'm in. No matter what you call me to do, I want to make a difference. This little card's going to my office. It's going to sit on my desk. I want to face this. I talked with one guy after the first service. He had put it right in his phone case so he could have it with him at all times. Some of you are going to put it in the car. Keep this with you as a reminder that your life matters and God wants to do an incredible thing through you. See, your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you. God has a plan for your life. It's good, not evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Though these are perilous times, these are exciting times. The greatest days for the church of Jesus Christ are yet to come. I say we have a revival. Can I hear an amen, church? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us, that you're faithful to bring it to completion. And God, I thank you that you're stirring in the hearts of my people, that God, you're bringing them to a spot of decision. You know the next step that you have for them. Speak it to their heart, God. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to people's hearts about a face that they need to reach out to, a name, a, a thing they need to do, something they've been putting off, the Holy Spirit. You're speaking to them right now. Now's the time. Don't wait. Now's the time. This is your life. God, I thank you for speaking to your kids. If there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room and don't know God, the only way to know God is to make peace with his only son, Jesus. By calling him Lord, it means boss. It means, it means you're not such a great boss of your own life. If you say this prayer and mean it, the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll have an eternity in heaven with him. You'll avoid a Christless hell. But it's found on the other end of saying amen in this prayer. If you mean it, say it with us, church. I invite you to say it with those saying it for the very first time. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Proud of you. Now listen, if you prayed that for the first time, you got to let somebody know. You can do that on the connection card we talked about earlier or online at newchapel.com and hit the connect with us tab. Let us know about the decision that you made. God has big things for you. That hard part's that first step. I dare you. I, I challenge you to take it. There were people cheering all around you. Why? They're excited about you making the same decision they made at some point in their life. So listen, take the step. Let us know. We want to pray for you. You don't have to come down here for any of that. You just need to let us know. A uh, couple of announcements I want to talk about before we dismiss today. The first of which is, I talked about it, it is the Drive-In to Freedom event. I'm so excited about this, guys, and this includes, yes, the event itself, but it's the tailgate carnival, it's the classic cars, the inflatables, the food, but it's going to be nothing without you. You need to bring somebody with you. You need to. And so invite people in from friends and family. Maybe share some of our stuff on Facebook. We have a sharp video that's out there. Please do share that. And then also, we need people to serve. Hear me now. All hands on deck. Before you leave today, let us know at guest services. Hey, I'm in. Count me in. I'll serve wherever you want me. We'll be in contact this week about what that would look like. So that's pretty exciting as well. Uh, one last announcement before we dismiss, and I am so excited about this. Uh, we've had something donated, and what we want to do is at the Drive Into Freedom event, we want to raffle off 
a rifle. I am so excited about that. Now, you're laughing, but I'm serious. And I think it's the church of Jesus Christ that needs to have that boy. And so I'm just saying, it's going to be a free drawing for anybody 18 years old and older. And listen, each attender is going to receive a ticket. But if you bring somebody with you as a guest, you get two tickets and they get two tickets. If you bring two guests, you get two more. Aha. And so this whole thing can snowball. It'll be very clear on the day of where you're going to get your tickets and how all of that is conducted. But listen, you must be present to win. And the final thing, it's even on the slide, tell everyone that you know because that is awesome. If nothing else, the picture's pretty neat, I think. We took that this morning. And so, listen, we're going to be raffling off this. It's a free raffle. Bring every human being that you know. When I told Justin Barclay about this, he said, dude, that is so cool. And so, listen, you are part of that church. Let's get loud about it on social media. Invite the world in. And let's make this an incredible event for people far from God. Can we give God praise one more time, New Chapel? Stand up on your feet, gang. Y'all excited about next week? Y'all going to bring somebody? I will haunt you in your dreams if you don't bring anybody. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That doesn't work. I've tried. Listen, I love you. Don't leave this place with a need in your spirit, soul, or body. We would love to pray with you and agree with you on God's word. If you've never been part of New Chapel Connect, I rebuke you. Come today. Let's hang out. Have some uh, Jimmy John's and some Coke or water. If you're vegan, we have water. But uh, beyond all of that, it's going to be a great day, and I can't wait to see you next week. Let me pray for you before we leave. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. 